0: Psalm number 28, and the title of the message this morning is Persevering Prayer. Persevering Prayer. Um, As you're turning to Psalm 28, we're going to obviously be looking at the 28th Psalm, but one of the things that I have learned to do over the years is sometimes um, when you read a portion of the Bible, It just doesn't clinch for you you just don't you know you can read Psalm 28 and yeah you know it's good but there is a passage in the New Testament that really illustrates the message of the 28th Psalm and so I ask you to hold your place in uh, Psalm 28 and turn with me to Luke chapter number 18 Luke chapter 18 and the similarities between Psalm 28 and Luke chapter 18 are very striking. Beginning in verse 1 of Luke chapter 18, it's the Lord Jesus in a parable. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Now, turning back to the 28th Psalm, I want to show you something. Notice the first two verses, Psalm 28, 1 and 2. Psalm of David, To you, O Lord, I call, my rock, be not deaf to me, lest if you be silent to me, I become like those who go down to the pit. Hear the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cry to you for help, when I lift up my hands toward your most holy sanctuary. Luke 18 and Psalm 28 are connected to each other in that both of them are expressing a similar idea. And it could be defined or described in uh, Luke 18 and verse 1, where Jesus says, don't give up. Don't give up in your prayers. Psalm 28 shows us and teaches us how to persevere in our prayer life. Let us take note of David's prayer so that we can learn how to pray more effectively. I doubt that there'd be anyone in here this morning if we made up a little survey and said, would you like to know how to pray better? I don't think there would be not one person in here that would check the no box. I mean, everybody wants to know how to pray better. And so that's essentially what this great psalm does for us. It teaches us how to pray and also persevere in prayer. So I have three simple points, three simple points. Roman numeral number one, the prayer to be heard in verses one and two. Roman numeral number two, the plea for God's justice, verses three through five. Roman numeral number three, the praise to God, verses six through nine. And the outline encompasses the entirety of the 28th Psalm. There's also another story that comes to mind, a narrative uh, in Matthew's gospel, particularly Matthew chapter four and verse three. And uh, it's when Jesus Christ is experiencing his 40 days of temptation in the wilderness. The Bible tells us that Satan himself appears to the Lord Jesus Christ. And Satan tempts Christ. Uh, He says, you know, command these stones to be made bread. And uh, Satan is twisting scripture and doing all the uh, evil things that the devil does with God and his word. But then Jesus quotes uh, in Matthew 4 and verse 3. He quotes Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 3. And Jesus says, as it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And I want to stop for just a moment and consider uh, what Christ says, not only in uh, Luke 18 in the parable of the unrighteous judge, and not only what David says in Psalm 28, but also what Jesus said in his temptation. Because there, there's a very precious nugget of truth that in order for us to really rightly understand the 28th Psalm, you must understand that Christ, Christ views uh, uh, the Word of God as just as vital for our health and development and growth as the people of God. He viewed the Bible, God's Word, he viewed it as equal with human food. Jesus says, I'll not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Well, hold your Bible up this morning. Anybody got a Bible? Amen. Good to see Bibles in church. Thank God for it. But folks, this is every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Right here. Every single word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And this is what I want to begin this first point with. The prayer to be heard. In order for us to have a effectual prayer life, we must have a high view of the Word of God. In fact, one of the reasons that I'm going to suggest why our prayers don't get answered more is because we do not view the Word of God high and lofty enough. See, here's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying that unless you have regular, heart-level, personal, passionate Bible study, Jesus is saying the only way that you can live is through the Word of God. Just as much as you will starve to death and perish if you do not have the bread, physical bread, if you don't eat a physical meal... If you don't have proper nutrition, Jesus is saying, he's saying you're going to starve to death, you're going to die, and then the illustration now is that in our spiritual lives, that the Bible is our food, our sustenance, the Bible is where we receive our strength, it's where we grow, it's where we mature. And part of the reason why we do not have our prayers answered is because we are not going to the word of God and seeking to be fed, to be nourished by what the Bible has to say to us. And this is a very tragic thing. And I sensed that more people would have more often answered to prayers and clearer answer to prayers if they viewed the Bible like what Jesus Christ says in Matthew chapter 4 verse 3. I shall not live by bread alone, but I shall live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Someone would say, why isn't God answering my prayers? Well, then you're not hungry enough. We're simply not hungry enough for God and for the word of God, for the things of God, for communion and fellowship with God. And this is exactly how this great and 28th Psalm begins. It begins with David saying, I want God to hear me so badly, as we're going to sort of unpack this great text before us this Lord's Day morning. David wants God to hear him so badly that he literally feels as if he is sinking down into hell if God does not hear his prayers. This is a desperate kind of prayer that David is praying in the 28th Psalm. Simply put, very often our prayers do not get answered because we do not want God to answer our prayers bad enough. When was the last time that you said, Lord, I want you to hear and answer my prayer more than I want my next meal? Now I'm speaking upon the subject of fasting. Lord, I want you to answer my prayer so badly I'm desperate. This is a desperate kind of confidence and faith in God that David has in Psalm 28 verses 1 and 2. Notice what he says. He says in verse 1, my rock, be not deaf to me. He says, lest I become like those who go down into the pit. Think about this illustration that he's giving. It's as if David is hidden. The word rock literally means crag or crevice. And David says, if you're not my rock, my hiding place, the place that I go to receive instruction and sustenance... He says, it's as if I am going to step off into a bottomless pit. The word pit in the, what is this, verse number one, lest I become like those who go down to the pit, it's the word sheol in the Hebrew language, and it can mean the grave, it can mean a literal pit, and it can also mean hell. Now this is a very striking thing. Because what David is saying is he's saying, Lord, if you don't hear me, I will fall down into a bottomless pit into the darkest depths of depression and discouragement. The, The encouragement which David receives from knowing that God is his rock strengthens his faith that God will hear and answer his prayers accordingly. David prepares his heart for persevering prayer by envisioning himself standing in the crevice of a rock and just off the ledge is a bottomless pit. And it's as if David is crying out to God, Lord, if you don't hear me, the next step I'm going to take is going to be off into what might be considered the Grand Canyon. This is a desperation that David is exemplifying. Crying out for God to help him as if he was going to fall down into the bottom of a dark pit. In other words, it is a life and death matter to David that God hears him. And what's so striking is what David is actually praying for. What David is actually praying for. Notice in um, verses 3 through 5, let's look at them. Do not drag me off with the wicked, with the workers of evil, who speak peace with their neighbors while evil is in their hearts. Give to them according to their work and according to the evil of their deeds. Give to them according to the work of their hands. Render them their due reward. Because they do not regard the works of the Lord or the work of his hands, he will tear them down and build them up no more. David was so concerned... That there was this deep inveterate hypocrisy that had crept into the hearts and the lives of the people of Israel. He said in verse number 3, he said that they speak peace with their neighbors, but evil is in their hearts. They have this outward show, but very little inward reality. The second step to getting our prayers answered and persevering in prayer is found in the second verse. He said, Hear the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cry to you for help. This mercy that David is speaking of speaks of the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat. See, Once a year, the high priest of Israel would enter into the sanctuary, the tabernacle or the temple, and they would slaughter a spotless lamb. And they would take the blood and they would sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat of God. And they would come out of the Holy of Holies and sprinkle the blood on the people. And David is saying, Lord, if you're going to hear my prayer, it will be on the basis of the blood There's one way and one way only that God hears our prayers. Then listen to me very well, Church of God. God hears your prayers not because of how good you are. Or how bad... Say it again. God doesn't hear our prayers because of how good we are. God also doesn't hear our prayers because we've checked all the right boxes in our Christian life. God hears our prayers based upon the blood of a God-ordained Redeemer. The blood of God's merciful covenant, the covenant of God, the Ark of the Covenant that was in the temple, this represented the redemption plan of God for the people of Israel and the world that surrounded them. And the idea here is the mercy of God is what has extended God's redeeming grace to fallen sinners like us. Effectively or essentially, David is praying. He says, Lord, I am a death deserving sinner. And if you do not hear me upon the basis of the blood and of your merciful covenant, then Lord, you don't hear me at all. And this is a very striking feature because when we come to God, we must always be reminding ourselves that the way that we can enter into the presence of God is through the blood of Jesus Christ. Not because of anything we've done, but because of what He has done. This is a necessary heart's attitude in order to get our prayers answered. It's not proud and arrogant. It's humble, broken, and contrite, trusting in the precious blood that has been shed. Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher of yesteryear, captured something of this when he says, and I quote, We stretch out empty hands, for we are beggars, We lift them up for we seek heavenly supplies. We lift them toward the mercy seat of Jesus for there our expectation dwells. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that wonderful? Coming to God. You know, that's what Jesus said. Blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness for they shall be filled. We have to be hungry and desperate for God to hear us in our prayers very often. And frankly, I've... Folks, persevering prayer is so rare. I mean, it's the kind of prayer that you will not be denied. You must have God do this thing which you are asking Him for so badly that every time you talk to God, you are exemplifying scriptural faith that God will move in this way, that God will answer your prayers according to the prayer that you have asked Him to do. Desperate prayer, prayer that will not be denied persevering prayer not giving up in prayer we ask God for something and then turn around and walk the other direction five minutes later and wonder why our prayers don't get answered I'm like that and I know many of us are like that because I am you and you are me and we are all the same and very often we don't mean business with the Lord David means business with God by the way it's only everything that's at stake the sanctity of the nation of Israel. I mean, you've got leaders and people within the, the covenant community of God's people of Israel that have lies on their tongue or lies in their heart, but blessings on their tongue. This is sort of this outward show that takes place very often. A plea for God's justice. This gets very fascinating. Verse 3, notice David's humility in his prayer. He says, do not drag me off with the wicked. David knows that if he is not heard by and he does not hear from God. See, it's not just that David wants to be heard by God. It's that David wants to hear God. There's this sort of reciprocal thing where it's not just that he wants his prayers to get answered, it's that he wants to have fellowship with the Lord. Why does he say what he says? Drag me not off with the wicked. Well, because David understands his own heart. Folks, listen. If we're going to pray against injustices in the world, we need to constantly keep before our own hearts and minds that if God is not sustaining us in our walk and daily communion with him, we're just like everyone else. See, the problem is, very often Christian people who go to work every day, they dot all the I's, they cross all the T's, they know all the right things to say, what begins to happen to them is they begin to think that there's a difference between them and the wicked world that surrounds them. But that's not true. That's not how David views himself. David says, Lord, if you don't hear my prayer, and if I don't hear from you, I'm going to be dragged off with the wicked. How can he say something like that? Well, in his own life, one of the themes of David's life is that he was dragged off with the wicked at one time, wasn't he? He sinned grievously against God and the people of Israel. We talk about the sin with Bathsheba and Uriah, and that was horrifying. Uh, In that sin, at least two people died. But later on in the narrative, or earlier in the narrative, we see where David numbered the people of Israel. I believe it was 70,000 Israelites died because of David's sin of pride wasn't listening to God. This is how he can pray, do not drag me off, don't let my fate, don't let my lot be cast in with those that are going down to Sheol, hell, the pit. I'm just like them, Lord. And if you don't do something, if you don't do something in my life, if you don't hear my prayer, I'm going to fail. Desperate faith. Persevering faith persevering prayer do you get the point (laughs) this is serious stuff brothers and sisters do you really want god to hear you do you really want god to give you what you're asking him for then don't give up don't faint continue and press on it's just like anything else in life isn't it first hardship that comes our way we want to tuck tail and we want to run We don't want to have to face the music. Folks, I can tell you this right now, that if you're going to get your prayers answered from God, you've got to mean business with Him and get real with God. I love how David, he just lays it all bare. He leaves it all on the table, doesn't he? He pulls no punches. He's honest about himself. He's honest about the world around him. And he's honest about God which is the theme of these verses 3-5. through five. When was the last time that you prayed those who were doing injustice in the world would be destroyed by God? I thought the Bible said, love your enemies. I thought the Bible said, judge not lest you be judged. It does say that, doesn't it? But it also says what it says here in verses 3 through 5. Look at verse 5. Because they do not regard the works of the Lord or the works of His hand, He will tear them down and build them up no more. This is a prayer for God's divine justice to be executed. These people are playing fast and loose with the things of God. And David says, Lord, tear them down. Tear them down. Don't let them do what they're doing. In the political realm, boy, uh oh, uh oh. In the political realm, all this chaos and carnage, Lord, they're tearing things down. Oh God, if they're doing injustice, tear them down. You say, that's shocking. That's the Bible. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Don't ever forget that. For you and for me. And folks, listen to this. We are just like them. They are just like us. We are no different than them. We're no better than them. If God takes his hand off you for a split second, the greatest of Christians are a half an inch away from the worst of sins. Just ask David and Peter. I'm I have a sip of tea. Very serious stuff. Strong medicine in Psalm 28. This is the kind of heart's attitude. Lord, I'm just like them. And if you don't hear me and if I'm not heard by you, I'm going to be dragged away and I will share in the same fate of the wicked. As you are exercising biblical discernment, Never forget of your own sin nature. Jesus said, why in the world would we want to pluck a speck out of somebody else's eye when you've got a, you know, eight by eight board in your own? You've got a a floor truss hanging out, you know, out of your own eye. And this is the idea, folks, to be very, very careful when we are exercising judgment and discernment to always keep in mind that we're no better than anyone else. Notice the description of the wicked. They speak to their neighbors while evil is in their, in their hearts. This is speaking of hypocrisy, an outward religious show, but inward, inwardly they desire mischief and evil. Folks, be very careful with uh, so-called political leaders that use Scripture all the time to push their own agenda. You're seeing a tremendous amount of this now in our world in which that we live today. Be very, very careful in using the Bible for your own ends. Look at what he says. He says, give them according to their work and according to the evil of their deeds. What is this? Verse 4? Psalm 28 and verse 4? The evil of their hands render to them their due reward. This is an illustration that he's given of an employer. And David said, these people, they want violence, they want evil, then give them their paycheck. If they want mischief, they want evil, they want to devise wicked schemes, they want to do unrighteous things, they want to dishonor you, Lord, and dishonor the people of God, give them their paycheck. Folks, listen, payday someday is coming. Someday payday is coming for us all. Be very careful. Be very careful and beware of the wrath of God. What begins and with a look at the progression here. Actually, it's a digression. <laughs> uh, they speak peace with their neighbors while evil is in their hearts, but notice it's not just evil in their hearts in the next verse. Now that evil in the heart manifests itself where? In the working of the hands. Brother Carrington used to say all the time, "Before you ever did it, you thunk it." <laughs> Probably not proper grammar. As a matter of fact, I know it's not, but it's truth nonetheless. Every wicked deed first began in a wicked heart. Notice the punning that takes place. The Hebrew is such a beautiful language, such a poetic language. Um, you know, English poetry has rhythm of of uh, pro uh, rhythm of um, wording. So, English poetry sort of rhymes. It's rhythm of of wording. Uh, Hebrew poetry is rhythm of thought. And notice the way in which the contrast that takes place. Verse 4, he says, Give to them according to the work of their hands, render them their due reward. And look at this, verse 5, because they do not regard the works of the Lord or the work of his hands. Two sets of hands. But those two sets of hands are doing two very different things. God is doing the great work of redemption. God is doing righteousness. God is doing justice with his hands. He's doing good things. That's set over against in stark contrast with those who are working evil with their hands. What does it mean? Well... They are so busy doing their own evil works that they have no time for God's works. There are people in the world that are so busy about their own business that they have no time for God and his redemption plan. Therefore, they are not going to be built up by God, they are not going to grow in his grace and knowledge, and they will ultimately be destroyed. It's as if David is saying, you don't want to work for God with your hands. You don't want to honor the work of God's hands. You want to do your own evil devices, evil deeds with your hands. And because of that, you're going to be cut off and destroyed. This is very, very potent stuff. Folks, God is no one to be trifled with. Verses 6 through 9, notice the staggering praise. Blessed be the Lord, for he has heard the voice of my pleas for mercy. The Lord is my strength and my shield. In him my heart trusts, and I am helped. My heart exalts, and with my song I give thanks to him. The Lord is the strength of his people. He is the saving refuge of his anointed. Oh, save your people and bless your heritage. Be their shepherd and carry them forever. Notice that the longest section of the psalm is devoted to praising God. Praising God, why? Because God is going to destroy the work of evildoers and their hands. God is going to destroy. God is going to one day finally and fully rid the cosmos of all sin and sinners. David knows this. There is a day of reckoning coming. David is praying that the day of reckoning of God wouldn't just be in some distant, far-off event, but that God's reckoning, that there would be a present tense sort of reality that would take place. Are you praying for the justice of God to be done? Are you crying out to God in persevering prayer that God would lay to waste the evil works of the unrighteous and the unredeemed? David does. You say, love your enemies. It's very possible to love your enemies and not love what they do. It's very possible to love the fact that our enemies are created in the image of God and originally designed in the Garden of Eden to honor and glorify God, but they have turned their back on Him and they've misappropriated their life, misappropriated their time. They are unrepentant, unremorseful, They don't have any time for God and they follow after the wicked devices of their own heart and hands. It's completely appropriate that God would lay them low and that we would pray for God to do such things. Can we praise God knowing that one day God will ultimately destroy hypocritical evil workers and the works of their hands? Isn't that wonderful to know that God is inviting us to do that? (laughs) Psalm 28 gives words to prayers for justice. Genuine justice to be done. Verse number 6. Notice what David does when he prays and he blesses the Lord. He says, For he has heard the voice of my pleas for mercy. Always remember your own sinfulness as you pray for the justice of God to be manifested on the earth. If God will give, if an unrighteous judge in Luke 18 will give justice to a widow seeking that her adversaries would be, uh, you know, judged by that evil judge, how much more will the righteous judge of all the earth judge evil in righteousness? Folks, I can't wait for the new heavens and the new earth to come down. Why? Because the Bible says, Therein, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Perfect justice. Perfect judgments. Not these perversions. But God's definition of things. Folks, be careful with redefining words and concepts. We're going to talk about that as you and I get to know each other a little bit more. Be careful with redefining words and concepts to fit our own presuppositions and to push our own agendas. Look at this. This is a progression that takes place in verses 6 through 9. Notice what he said. Verse 6, he said, for he has heard the voice of my pleas. In verse 7, he said, and I am helped. And then he says in verse 7, I give thanks. Look at it. Look at David's faith. He says, I know God heard me. I know God's helping me. And therefore, I praise him. (laughs) Boy, what a pattern that is. See, very often we pray, but we really don't believe God's going to give us what we ask for. (laughs) This is how we pray. Fingers crossed, right? That's not how David prays. David prays knowing God hears him. Knowing God will help him. And then breaking forth in incredible songs of praise to God. Remember, let your praise be at least as prominent as your prayers I want to close with this thought. Luke chapter 17, 11 through 18. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee, and as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priest. And they went and they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you whole. Folks, where are the nine? In our prayer life, in our persevering prayer life, where are the nine? Many people experience blessings from God, divine interventions from God, unexplainable miracles from miracles of healing, but very, very few people come back to offer up authentic Genuine, heart level, thanksgiving and praise to God. Ten percent is what the text says. In Jesus Christ's day, ten percent is what he got. May God give us the grace to persevere in prayer and persevere in praise. This psalm encapsulates within nine short verses the kind of prayer which God hears and answers. Our prayers must be desperately intense, humble, contrite, and with a strong note of divine justice, all without self-righteous legalisms. And finally, our prayers must be in faith and include praise to God, and concern for God to answer the prayers of others. You know it wasn't just David's prayer that God that he was praying would be answered. it was the prayer of all Israel. Let's bow our heads and hearts for a brief moment of reflection. Lord, first and foremost, we pray for mercy to be extended unto, uh, just like mercy has been extended to the covenant people of God. Just like mercy has been extended to the church, God, we pray for mercy to be extended to those who are doing injustice. But Lord, if they will not have mercy, we know that just around the bend lies wrath and judgment and righteous judgment. Lord, the Bible says that the magistrates of this world, the leaders of our world, the the ones who are tasked with executing justice in the court system, and criminal justice system, that they are essentially weapons in your hand to keep this world at bay, to keep chaos and disorder at bay. And Lord, we pray for mercy, but Lord, we also not afraid to pray that those who tear things down will be tore down if they do not stop. Lord, you're so good and you're so gracious. Lord, help us to persevere in our personal prayers. Help us to persevere in our corporate prayers. Help us to persevere in prayers for divine justice to be executed by the good and righteous judge of all the earth. In Jesus Christ, holy and precious name we pray. Amen.